You're listening. No. You're listening to the Buns.com Podcast Network. (laughs) (laughs) Buns, buns, buns. Hello, lovers. Welcome to You Gotta Love It. The show where you tell us and the rest of the world the things that you love that we might have missed. The show where you can come to discover the best things you never knew existed. And the show where you can force us to sit through the worst entertainment you can find and say, well, you gotta love it. I'm surprised I fucking still, nailed still it. remember the whole nailed thing. Nailed it. First take. I, I still have um, memories of trying to read that off or like trying to figure it out in the early episodes just being like, eh, you know, whatever. whatever. You know, we'll the, figure it out. Next you know, time. the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my name is Koji. I am a part time dreamer and full time car enthusiast, mm. I guess kind of applies. And or, with me or, or like or like uh, full time. uh <clears throat> What's the word I'm looking for? Estranged uh, Polynesian. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, there's got to be something there. There's some connection. Right. You love Hawaii. I do love Hawaii. I would never there's not history. go back. And with me is my good friend and part cyborg, Andrew Patterson. Sweet. Part cyborg because Idris Elba is a cyborg in that movie. He, yeah. He's part, well, yeah, I guess he's full cyborg. Yeah. I guess he can't be part. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting like, Kind of getting off the off the rails right at the gates here. Part cyborg, part lady of the night. Mm. <laughs> Andrew Patterson. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah, our after a brief hiatus, we are back with an episode uh, about a movie that most of you will have heard of or seen, and a movie that we discussed somewhat uh, a little while ago on our Tiff Adventure episode. Anyway. The hidden gem for the week is a movie called A Long Day's Journey Tonight and is not the like 1960s or 50s movie based on the play of the same name. This is a Chinese film. Uh, the director's name escapes me at the moment, but we should bring that up at some point. And uh, the You Gotta Love It is a movie by the name of The Fast and the Furious Present Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, yeah. You even remember the Fast and Furious present. I've just been referring to it as Hobbs and Shaw. <clears throat> well, full title. Yeah. You, know. no, you uh, gotta. Otherwise, people aren't going to know yeah. what universe, what film universe it's connected yeah, to. Yeah. You also won't know which Hobbs and which Shaw we are referring to. It's yeah. a small independent film. You may not have heard of it. Um, it sounds like a, like a buddy. Like it sounds like a Turner and Hooch, you know? It, but like it a kind co- of it's is, like a though. Cop. It's like a cop and his dog that like helps him solve crimes. Right. It is a very buddy cop-esque yeah. movie. It returned yeah. to form, but we'll talk about that in a second. Right now, let's get into A Long Day's Journey in Tonight. So, I saw this film with our good friend Tom, who has since been on the podcast, uh, at TIFF, and it literally blew me away. It was a type of movie where I watched it, and then I didn't know what I watched and then I didn't wasn't sure if I liked what I watched. And then I woke up the next morning and I was like, I love this movie. Right. And that's kind of my favorite part about the whole thing. Now, the movie is about a man who returns home after not being home for a very long period of time uh, to find that everything has changed. He starts reminiscing about his his past life and, you know, his best friend and this girl that he kind of fell in love with. And then he decides to go looking for her. And insanity ensues? Question mark? Sure. Insanity isn't what I would use to describe it. It's more like a... It's uh, like a fever Introspection yeah. ensues, kind of. Uh, extrospection? Is that a word? Yeah. I don't know. Basically... Well, it kind of reminds me in a weird way of high fidelity when he goes and revisits all his past girlfriends and totally. he's like starts to learn new things about his life. Another... Sort of, I feel like you could make another parallel. It reminded me, not necessarily, I mean, definitely not in tone, but in maybe a little bit in execution of Enter the Void. Okay. Um, yeah, wherein, yeah. you know, <clears throat> spoiler alert, if you've never seen Gaspar Noe's Enter the Void, but it's like a, a, it opens with a guy being killed. The whole movie is filmed in first person. And then the remainder of the movie proceeds to be 
his like uh post death pre um I don't know how to really it's sort of like the afterlife but he's basically just floating around like he's seeing all of these things unfold and experiencing them through first person right and it's very it has a very similar uh, to the second half of this movie where in it it does feel kind of feverish and almost like you're like a dream right um I found this movie to be... Uh, there's been a lot of movies I've watched lately. Uh, well, maybe not a lot, but at least a couple that they're a type of movie that I really like. And I think it almost take... It takes... Uh, it's like an acquired taste. And that is the movie where maybe not a lot happens, but it's very compelling to watch. The convert... Like, it's filmed in such a way and the dialogue is done in such a way and it's written in such a way that, like, if you are not you know it's nice you take a break from sort of the the go 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 of like the world and being glued to your phone you have to actually sit and pay attention and be open to just like i I totally agree Um, and it's something that you have to unpack later now my only problem with some of these movies is sometimes i feel like you know i think that there's a lot that i need to like reckon with when i'm done watching the movie and then sometimes i finish watching the movie and i i ruminate on it and i'm like I don't really feel like there's actually a lot here. And that's when I feel like those movies fail. But this, right. this obviously is one of those. Yeah. And this, uh, <coughs> so the director's name is, uh, is, uh, be gone. Yeah. By gone. B- I'm pretty much. Yeah. It's by that. Uh, so apologies to the director, but, um, and apparently, which I did not know, uh, the city in which the film takes place is where the director is from. Oh, awesome. he's done. Uh, he did another movie. I think his first film, uh, was also set in in the same place, Kylie City. Um, but the setting also was very. It felt kind of like uh, Only God Forgives. I know that takes pl- that doesn't take place in like a, I think Only God Forgives is in was it maybe Taiwan or Indonesia? I, I don't I know. I can't even remember. But same similar approach to like um, uh, Nicholas Winding uh, Refn film. Like it's like you know literally the first half of this movie is it just kind of like it feels like you need to piece it together like it's not it doesn't feel like a consistent flow like oh he walked from this location got in a car and drove to this location right no that is the case it feels kind of disjointed it's just like a series of conversations sort of stitched together right uh and sometimes not even conversations sometimes it's just like you know but it's, it's up to the audience to kind of figure out how it how it fits together and yeah. then you once though that series of conversations is concluded you get an idea of what this guy's former life was like but walking into it you really know no backstory yeah and also we haven't really touched on it but the real centerpiece of this film is that the uh the latter half it's like 55 minutes is a one take shot and when you see it in theaters, it is in 3D. So at the, I, I don't know if it's half, but it might be like. It's a little over half. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, one third or yeah. whatever. Um, it, it He sits down in a theater to watch a movie. And then he puts on 3D glasses. And at that point, as an audience member, when I saw it in theaters, I also put on 3D glasses. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the movie was in 3D. Yeah. And it's interesting because there's no cue. But before the movie starts, someone came out and was like, it will be pretty obvious to you when to put on these 3D glasses. So just do it. That's great. And also the title card comes up too. So it feels like you're fully, you're watching a movie. And if I imagine seeing it in theaters, it's what, like what a cold open. Yeah. What a, yeah, <laughs> what you're, a cold you're, you're, open. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the movie theater already. And then you experience, it's like a fucking onion. It's yeah. super meta. It's like you're, you watch the character that you've been watching for like an hour and 10 minutes walk into a theater, sit down, and then it seamlessly switches to his perspective, which has already been your perspective this whole time. Right. Uh, surprise. I'm, I mean, you know, there's so many, there's so many thousands and thousands of films out there that I'm sure it would be naive of me to say that this has never been done before, but it is also shocking to me that I can't fit. Like it felt new. Like I was just like, Oh shit. Because you yeah. told me a little bit about this movie. We talked about it. We right. talked about it on the pod, but I completely forgot. And the first half of the movie is so um, engrossing. Like, I was so... 
it's so a, deep into it. Like, what is going on here? That it's what? almost like a murder mystery or a whodunit. It's like he's mi- looking for a missing person, like uh, the second half of Gone Girl or something. Like, yeah, it it is very compelling, but it's so interesting to me that they do all of these things that are drastic change from the second half of the movie to the first half. So they they make it 3D. They make it all one shot. Uh, the sort of narrative, it's rather than jumping around from scene to scene, it all takes place in in one spot over in real time, essentially. Yeah. So it almost Such feels a like a different movie. Oh, yeah. It's so crazy to think about from a production standpoint. The other thing that's amazing about it is that uh, it really rewards the type of people or the type of viewer that I'm always harping about like this is how people should engage with things right like being more invested in what's happening you know like pay pay you know just like devote your energy to something and it will reward you um in that when we talk about the first half of this movie being like stitched together kind of like a bunch of stitched together uh scenes yeah that are you have to do some work to kind of connect the dots you're paying so much attention or I mean, I guess if, if you're watching the movie in this way, you pay so much attention that you subconsciously pick up on things that in the second half of the movie, which again feels like perhaps the character has fallen asleep and we're in his dream is just like a dream in that elements of things that happened in the first half of the movie appear, but are not always entirely obvious. Right. So like an example might be, uh, or two examples, uh, one that's obvious and one that's maybe a little bit less obvious are uh, he talks very early in the movie when he's reminiscing about his friend about how he had this like cart of apples, right? And then like the cart spilled or the apples ro- were rotten or something. I can't remember what so, happens. He let them rot. He was yeah. supposed to recover them. and didn't. Yeah, so what was... <sighs> okay, spoiler alert for the for the movie. Um he had a friend who was working for this mobster, I guess, or this this racket, and uh, that friend had a family emergency, and so he needed the main character of this film to, to get the apple cart. It was part of some scheme that they were running and bring it to this place and sell the apples. Right. And he didn't, and, you know, they waited a day, and when when his friend, you know, came back from his family emergency and went to the apple cart, all the apples were rotted and this this kind of is the impetus for the entire film because it's this gangster that kills his friend Mm -hmm. uh that he goes to seek revenge from and comes to find that one of this gangster's mistresses is somebody that he's fallen in love with and now many many years later has gone searching for right and also the second half of the movie my interpretation of it anyway is that he falls asleep in the theater and is having this as a dream. Yeah. And the thing that I love the most about it is to me, it felt like the, the best representation of a dream I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Because yeah, like, that's what I mean, things don't make sense. Like yeah. at one point someone's floating, but like in a dream, when you're having it, you're just like accepting all the crazy stuff that happens as reality. Like, Oh, yeah. I can't read a book because like, it's a dream. I can't read. You're just like, Oh, I guess I just don't know how to read. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so like the, that there's a point where an apple cart, like walks by yeah. and it is like the focus of the shot, but it's not, it doesn't like play any sort of role in this single take sequence other than just being a thing that's there. It, yeah. And so, you know, very quickly you come to like, you're looking at this single take that's 50 odd minutes and like he might walk by something that was something that was referenced or the second example I was going to give is at one point he's talking to this hairdresser in the first half of the movie. Yeah. Who, you know, is talking about how she used to dye his mother's hair or something like that. And right. he, he, she was like, do you know what her, what, like her favorite color? I can, some, something like just to kind of asks him something and he says red. She's like, oh, she never would have had red hair. You know, like that's, you know, come yeah. on. And then in the dream, there is a woman that he has a conversation with who has this like vibrant red hair. Right. It's like impossible not to notice. And it's like, he doesn't comment on it. He doesn't even really look at it, but it's just like there. it feels so much like the experience of having a dream because there are all of these things constantly happening where you're just like, 
Oh man, it every oh you feel like if you rewatch this movie like ten times, you would probably discover new things that are reference references to what happens in what we will call his waking, like the waking half of the movie. Like yeah. it's I it's just it's really it's very much worth checking out. Yeah, it is a hidden gem of like the the highest order. Like it's just like this is like an example of what a hidden gem is. I think I I completely agree because it's also a. I think by the nature of it, I mean, it's a foreign film that is subtitled uh, and just the craziness of it. It's not something that people are going to be flocking to or maybe will ever hear of. Music is amazing. Also, it's got a it's got a touch of Ghost in the Shell a little bit. Yeah. Uh, um, But yeah, just uh, really enjoyed it. It was a good it was a good uh, it was a good pick. What do you think it all means? Like, uh, I kind of get the sense that, uh, you know, there's there's some message there that I'm not quite getting. Like maybe your memory of things and the way that you dream of it is probably going to be, in some cases, better than the reality. You know, because like, spoiler alert again, by the end of the movie, he doesn't like. I don't think he finds a girl. He falls asleep in the in a theater waiting for nighttime so that he can find this girl. But I think he sleeps through it. Um, but in his, in him backtracking through his life and then having this dream, it's like, it's not going to live up to the sad reality that he would have encountered had he woken up because it turns out that she's just like a prostitute in some sort of traveling prostitution ring. Yeah. It was a little bit, yeah, that again, that takes like a little bit more thought to sort of figure out what's going on there. It wasn't immediately apparent to me. Um, Oh yeah, I definitely just sat in, down. In that regard, it reminded me a lot of like uh, almost like not not this is going to be like maybe a bad thing to reference, but it didn't remind me of this in a bad way. But like you know, when I had assigned reading in school, and I had to, and I was just like, you know, you read um, an analysis of like some classic literature, and they're just like, this character represents this, and I'm like, I would have never made that you know like it's kind of obtuse like a lot of like old writing like it's it's not always readily apparent to you as somebody living in you know the turn of this century to like what they obviously meant like fucking whatever however many years ago yeah um and there was a lot of that in this movie where it was just like it's not always it's not always somebody like just being like oh yeah this character is a prostitute it's just sort of like subtle and you kind of have to be um I don't know, really attentive to kind of pick those things out and like identify them for what they are. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the, th- I, I think, it, I think it has that you're probably right, but also um, it made me think a lot about choice as well. You know, decisions that like when the path diverges or, you know, there's like a fork in the road and like the choices that you make and like how that, how people think about those things. So it, it definitely ties into that sort of hindsight and memory and, and all that. But um, because also when you think about the end of the movie, a lot of it, a, a lot of the way that he maneuvers through that dream is much the same way. Like there's clear paths. There are even paths that characters go on more than once. Yeah. Or where he a character will follow in the footsteps of another character. So I don't know. There's definitely a lot to parse there. I think you could probably, like I said, you could, it's kind of rewatchable in the sense that, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a thought provoking film. And, and I think to watch it more than once, it's going to like add to your understanding maybe of like what, uh, what they were trying to say. I agree. Uh, I think that kind of answers the first question that we have here for the question section of the, of this, uh, movie is, why should people watch it? I think we, we we might have covered that. Now, if they were to make a Hollywood version of this movie, not a reboot, but like a an American version, who you mean without people fucking losing their minds because they didn't cast entirely <laughs> Chinese actors? Yeah, who stars in the like? Let's just say that they they uh, set this movie in like I don't know L.A. or something uh, or New York. Or well, I think based on the city that it's set in, it would have to be more of like a mid-size. It'd be closer to maybe like a Detroit, you know? Okay. Or like a, a place that feels kind of... Uh, well, LA is like all spread out and has some, some weird 
parts to it, which is why I was thinking maybe L.A. But uh, it feels like a Rust Belt movie. Who who stars in the film? Who, uh, who would I always you cast just want to say uh, uh, our our boy Phoenix. Basically, I just basically could cast him in anything. See, you know what I mean? In my head, I was thinking uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I feel oh, like really? I, it's a very brick. It's yeah, like a brick movie. Yeah, a, a return to uh, a return to form. I think uh, you could have a lot. There's a lot of people I think that would do a really good job. I think Oscar Isaac. Yeah, uh, would probably be pretty good. I think. Uh, or Gosling. I mean, I like every, everything yeah, that guy does. It's well, I was trying to avoid Gosling only because like Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Only God Forgives, Drive. Like they all kind of have like a t- like it's sort of like. It almost seems too obvious to have him be in this movie because yeah. he's already been in so many movies that f- have a very similar or that I would attribute like a similar feeling to. Yeah. Um, and who, I mean, he, the focus is so much kind of on the central character. I mean, there is a love interest and stuff, but like, I don't even, yeah, you know, like it could, I mean, the, the, lo- the thing with love interest is she would have to be a slightly older woman, mm-hmm. I guess. Like it, it can't just be like a, a young, attractive Hollywood starlet. It has to be like a slightly, older but still attractive woman hmm. tough but it would be interesting though i would definitely watch uh the american version of it although i doubt they maybe could make like, it better than this maybe like jessica chastain is how old is jessica chastain though i don't know i don't know that's a good call She's though. stunning yeah that's a good call uh okay what is your favorite moment of this movie um I really like the, I mean, the whole second half is really good, but um, I liked the sequence where he meets the kid. Right. So it, like, which right is like the, the opening, the yeah. opening of the second half of the single shot. And they play ping pong. Very suspenseful. And then uh, I think that's because that's when I realized that I needed to pay attention. Like close, re- like not that I wasn't already, but that was like the, the trigger where it was like, oh, he he thought that he was going to have a son and he was going to teach his son how to play ping pong. And the kids were like, they're everything in that kid's little, like, you know, and the table, there's just like yeah. so many things that immediately you're like, Oh, and he was pushing that cart. Yeah. And then earlier you saw the cart being pushed that had like the, I, I think it was a body. There's like a body in it. Yeah. You remember what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, there's so many things that mirror You're like, Oh, well, he was disposing of his friend's body. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm in for it now. And then of course it goes on for like an additional, like after that moment, yeah. it's like another 45, but it was like the beginning of the sort of like, Oh, right. Cool. I like when him, I think it's him and the girl. It might just be him where, where they float down from that yeah. high spot. That's when I was really like, Oh, this is not reality. Yeah. You know, before I was like, I don't understand what's happening, but maybe it's still some like version of reality paddle. or something. If you spin the paddle, yeah. On one side of the paddle is like carved a bird. It was like, if you spin it, you can like fly. Yeah. And he spins it and nothing happens. And then he spins it again. And then it just, the camera just kind of like goes up. And yeah. And you just hear their voices. And you're just like, oh. Yeah. But it's so interesting because that's one of those, mo- uh, not movie logic, one of those dream logic things again, where it's just like, oh, I guess I can fly. <laughs> yeah. You know, like when, when, when he's told that, they don't, he doesn't really question it. Or he's like, what are you talking about? You can fly. He's just like, well, yeah, of course. If I spin this, spin this paddle, I can fly. No yeah. problem. Um, so I don't know what the budget of the film was, but I do know that it was released in uh, China on New Year's Eve uh, of all times, and uh, that's like a that's a heavy. Yeah, that's heavy New Year's Eve viewing. You know, what an interesting movie to watch on New Year's. But uh, do you know how much money this movie made? No idea. I don't even know where to start. In yeah. American dollars? Yeah. It's pretty hard to determine because it's international film, right? So. Uh, $80 million. $41 million. Oh, wow. It's way off. Twice yeah. the amount. Well, so apparently, $41.8 million. Apparently, it was released in China, uh, and it was like... Uh, marketed as this like romantic oh I did I actually read about this yeah, yeah this romantic you know sort of movie to go see on New Year's or whatever and there was a big social media backlash about people not understanding the movie <laughs> yeah so I could see that uh, uh, that's pretty interesting yeah it would be it would be I think like similar to if they marketed only lovers left alive as like a romantic comedy 
you know, right. take a date to this movie. And then like tons of people, and they're like, people are like, Ooh, Tom Hiddleston's so hot right now. And like, they went to see that movie and then it was just like Jim Jarmusch, the most Jim Jarmusch-iest film of just like, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, I, I love that movie, but it's n- definitely not your typical date uh, movie. Well, I mean, it'd be a good, be a, I think it'd be a good date movie for a specific. Well, they have to have people. the right sensibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Shut. oh, go on. Sorry. Uh, would you rent, buy, or see this movie in the theaters? And if so, how much would you pay? I would pay full price seat in theaters because, like, and having now seen it, especially, and hearing you talk about that 3D, like, I feel like it was already so immersive, and I was just watching it at home on my couch. And it's like, those are the movies that you want to see in an environment that is, uh, you know, the movie theater environment. Like, that's that it captures the the i think the joy of that's the whole point you go to see a movie you know yeah at least for me well this movie especially i think because of all the extra sort of things that they've put into it to make it seem more immersive and more dreamlike and all the rest it's definitely a movie that uh, one should see in theaters and i would pay almost any reasonable amount of money to see this in the theaters like if someone was like this is coming back to theaters it's 40 dollars for you to go see it, I'd be like, I'm in. I'll buy my ticket right now, 40 bucks, no problem. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, speaking of uh, another theater experience that we recently had, <laughs> we are going to move to the, you got to love it, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Question mark? I mean, this is a tough one for me because it's not hard to love this movie, but for some people, I think it could be very difficult. Yeah. To love this movie. Uh, Bennett Slater. Oh, has he seen it? No. He the, he has... When it comes to the Fast and Furious franchise, he is not all in. Let oh, I it, see. Let me put it that way. Uh, I feel like I have a very Ringer-esque uh, mentality when it comes to these movies. Like, I am, I've never been more interested in seeing such... I don't know if lowbrow is the right word, but like... I am 100% in on any more of these movies that they want to make. Like any of these like side Fast and Furious movies, if they want to start doing Fast and Furious Presents, whatever, yeah, I'm in. Like, I'd like movie, to see more of the Tokyo scene, you this, know? Yeah. Flashback movies. Han's about, alive. Uh, yeah. That's Ooh, it. Yeah. It's like a, we don't know it, but he's going to come back and like uh, the drift scene is going to be back in they business. They could literally do these movies anywhere in the world and it would be, I mean, it, when I say interesting, I mean like you could have an interesting the movies don't feel like they're rooted as much in car culture anymore, although that is a large component of them, but it's not like the first one. Like this one, they have like a chop shop and stuff, yeah. but it's not like... Oh, it almost has nothing to do with cars. Idris Alba is a superhuman cyborg that they reference several times. Yeah. There are guys literally jumping off buildings <laughs> in like high-tech... Yeah, but there's still like... Infiltration uh, gear. The movie is basically stitched together by chases. So it's still like very much, you know, they got the Italian job car in there. There's the crazy transforming motorcycle. There's the whole chase scene with the uh, McLaren, I think. Like it's like... But well, but anyway, all of that is to say that if they wanted to be like, you know, okay, remember those two guys that are from, I think, Fast Five or maybe the sixth one? They're those, those guys, um, the two brothers... You know who I'm talking about? Fuck, why can't I remember the character? Whatever. The point is, you could do, you could elaborate on the Tokyo Drift universe and like toga, toge racing. You could yeah. elaborate on characters in South America, you know? And like, right. because within car culture, everywhere in the world has like a different sort of niche. Yeah. Um, and these movies have kind of evolved, even though that seems like a very lofty word to use, beyond just the typical car culture plot well it's like super spy now you could do so much cool stuff like just cool fun stuff right you know what i mean like they they've done such a great job of for just like for just stupid fun of like and also introducing sort of these legendary car movie actors you know Mm -hmm. like like jason statham being one of the more obvious ones but like almost everybody that they've fleshed the cast out with each time is somebody who has been in a movie that was built around chases or cars so it's like, you know, they could still add like Nick Cage, obviously, yeah. uh, and Angelina Jolie. There's lots of people they could add, but like the sky's the limit. 
they could they literally probably and they they will continue making these movies until the end of time right just get on that streaming platform and uh make a ryan reynolds as super spy tv yeah. show uh half yeah. hour half hour comedy um of him in various spy situations yeah or uh, are you all in on the um uh kevin hart air marshal uh, <laughs> oh god <laughs> That's yeah. probably already a thing. He was in that, what was it, Central Intelligence? He's not an air marshal, but like, yeah. he's already been, yeah, anyway, whatever. Did you know that the director of this movie also directed Deadpool 2? Yes. John Wick. Yeah. Uh, co-directed. Co-directed John Wick, although didn't get credit for it, though. Yeah, uncredited, uncredited on uh, Deadpool short. Yeah. And he did Atomic Blonde, which I really liked. Yeah, so... I actually know a lot of the, the history. He's got the credentials for mindless. Well, not mindless, but like he's got the credentials for over-the-top action. And uh, he also, I think, is an ex-stuntman. Because when I looked him up on IMDb, he he has eight director credits and 82 stunts credits. So he is a former stuntman who uh, met, while doing stunt work, the uh, the credited director of John Wick. Uh, him and that guy worked on various movies, including uh, The Matrix, where they met Keanu Reeves. Mm. Uh, they started a uh, stunt company, I guess. Got a lot of second unit directing work, uh, which is when they're making big budget films, especially like big temple <coughs> films. Um, the director will direct all of the major scenes, but if there's like sweeping overhead shots or like maybe a car is pulling up in front of a building to like establish, okay, they've gotten to the mansion or whatever it is, the director doesn't necessarily direct all of that. Like it's not always Steven Spielberg or whoever right. saying, you know, this is how every scene and every shot of this film is going to go. Mm-hmm. And so the second unit director will, will direct a lot of that. And especially if there's a movie with a lot of stunt coordination or like martial arts or whatever, uh, certain directors don't really know how to properly, uh, uh, not just capture that, but also choreograph it. And, you know, they just say, this is what I want, mm-hmm. figure it out. And so th- these guys started doing that and then decided like, hey, we could just we, do, we could direct, <laughs> do everything. Yeah. And so when, when John Wick happened, yeah. uh, the script came out, Keanu was attached and they were looking for directors and these guys were like, well, it's kind of too small a budget for us to be second unit directors on. But what if we directed it? And because Keanu knew them from various projects, including The Matrix, they were like, yeah, just do it. And then from there, uh, you know, aside from the fact that he was uncredited because of some Directors Guild stuff, which we don't need to get into, uh, you know, both their careers got launched. And so then he got Atomic Bond mm-hmm. and it's just been going bigger and bigger. So... Up until this point, now it's probably the biggest budget mil- movie he's ever directed. Yeah, and I think uh, that's. In- I don't think we've ever really talked about that aspect of filmmaking, and not that I want to go too much into it now, but I I think that like like stunts is is is, in, is crazy, and I think that like uh, in today's day and age, yeah. there's so much CG in post production that it's almost like fallen by, I mean, there are movies kind of almost about that, about like the, you know, the sort of down on, down on their luck, you know, ex stuntman or like how they do things now, or, you know, just adding something in post. Right. But like so much of especially action, like big budget action movies requires so much stunt work. Right. And like that shit is insane, man. It's so crazy when you think about it. Well, one of the things they're basically just like disposable, People like I mean they're not disposable. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, uh, unless you're Tom Cruise, there's somebody else that's doing all of this insane stuff. Even the stuff that's getting, you know, that's like green screened out or something like that. Like it's just like, what a crazy job that would be. Right. And so the interview that I was uh, listening to with this director, he was kind of one of his sort of side hustles is to try and get the Academy to recognize stunt work. stunt work because they have you know best uh not best cgi but whatever they have right. you know they have all the production awards yeah so there should be an award for yeah 
best stunt. I'm actually shocked that there isn't now that it's been brought to my attention yeah. in the last couple seconds. Also, the idea that the uh, Academy Awards is losing viewership. Like, what a great category or sev- uh, like series of categories for them to add. Like, Tom Cruise would just win every year. Best stunt in a movie. You know, could uh, you imagine yeah. if it just like it just a clip of like death death defying thing after yeah. death defying thing would be amazing. Nuts. I mean, considering that how crazy it's gotten, and not to mention Tom Cruise for the third time in like three minutes, but yeah. that last Mission Impossible movie where they actually and the crew also that were in on it, but yeah. that did those halo jumps. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, he also that, flies a helicopter upside down, which is Yeah. Well, but yeah, but like Okay, sure. Yeah, obviously, of course. But like, I just think about like the, uh, the resources, and just like how, how dedicated, and also just like the it's just nuts. Yeah. For those of you that don't know what a halo jump is, it's basically jumping for like you need oxygen. Like you're skydiving from like the lowest, the lower point of like Earth's upper atmosphere. Yeah. You know, I don't know Red Bull guy. Yeah, I don't know what the height. Yeah, I don't know what the height is, but. And Tom Cruise did like hundreds of these or something along with it so that they could film it. Like it was like, you know, they built custom helmets. Like, so that scene, while it's heavy in, in Mission Impossible with yeah. the halo jump, while it's heavy in post-production with like the clouds and the storm and stuff is like real. Right. And I think that, I guess what I was trying to get at or articulate earlier, um, and we'll bring it full circle back to Hobbs and Shaw on this point, is that I think that because there's so much CG now to the average moviegoer yeah. who has no stake in in special effects like again our you know like i went to school for animation we have lots of friends that that still actively work sort of in that realm right but for most people i think they just think that most stuff is just cg yeah you know or done in cg like it's just like kind of like where their mind goes if something looks unbelievable it probably is uh or something looks right like impossible to to create so it's almost like in today's day and age, you need to really shout out the people that are, you know, post-production is one thing, but the fact that people are actually doing stuff like this is to film movies and tell stories is amazing. I would wager that a lot of the stuff in this movie, now obviously like the motorcycles, like CG, and there's some pretty crazy right. stuff that happens, but I would wager that a lot of the stuff in this movie, based on who directed it and, uh, you know, their mentality towards some of the stuff, a lot of it is somewhat practical or at the very least, like, you know, the scene where there's like four cars being lifted by a helicopter. Yeah. I imagine that in some universe somewhere, you know, it may not be these four cars lifted by a helicopter, but it could have been four cars lifted by a crane with actors in it. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they put that kind of effort into it. Yeah. And I bet, uh, I bet they actually wired up those guys when they ran down the side of that building. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff for sure. Um, so let me ask you this. Did you enjoy watching this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Would you, (laughs) uh, have you recommended it to other people? No, I did have a brief discussion with, uh, the aforementioned Bennett Slater, just just like trying to sort of, you know, butter him up and just be like no nah, j- you know it's fine though just like to you know yeah he uh he he pulled the he jumped in on like movie like the last one or something or movie seven or eight or something like that and like didn't yeah. want because like unwatchable and i was like yeah i mean i get it but like you know if you go in just expecting the broiest <laughs> yeah i mean it's progression right yeah like if you started from the beginning where they're like essentially the big score of the film in the first one is like we, we stole a bunch of dvd players or something yeah right <laughs> to uh now we're just like the entire fate of the world is at stake yeah in know. every movie yeah you can appreciate it but so a couple things that i appreciated about this movie because you know you mentioned deadpool and we talked a little bit at the top of the show about buddy cop movies a this movie is very <clears throat> not just self-referential, but just re- very referential in general. So, like, they make light of the fact that uh, Statham was in the Italian job. The Rock yeah. was, like, a wrestler named The Rock. Yeah. You know, who did, like, the eyebrow thing and, you know, threatened to shove things up people's butts and yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. the entire movie is very aware of the reality of the a- 
all of the actors in this movie situation. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we missed some reference to The Wire at some point, you know? Yeah. That, that's kind of what this movie was somewhat like. Yeah. The <clears throat> I liked the... Um the Italian job thing was one of my favorite. I mean, I know you're going to get come back to that. Like, what's yeah. your favorite scene? But it was, like, s- somehow unexpected. Yeah. Because I'm so used to thinking of him as the transporter. Right. And it's just, like, they were in that garage, and it's just, like, they're, they're all these, like, insane cars, and then just this little mini, and he just, like, looks at it, and then Jason Statham's like, oh, it was for a job, job, job in Italy. Yeah. And you're just like, ha-ha, ha uh, So on the nose, but that's <laughs> still so good. Yeah. So um, the one thing that I appreciate about this movie is it's it's basically a comedy oh yeah like it's comedy first and then or is it action first it's hard to say but it's like a tie yeah i mean it has some pretty heavy there's like biological weapons and stuff in it and but if you look at comedies in general in in the last like say three years they haven't done well at the box office. So you look at a movie like, um, uh, I don't know, Booksmart or Late Night or uh, Long Shot. Good Boys. Well, we don't, I don't yet? No, it's not out. So we don't know if it's done well or not. But <laughs> uh, a lot of people are saying that like the sort of big studio comedy is almost all but dead. Like Good Boys is probably going to be the last one to see if you know Point Grey or whatever can release a comedy that will do well. Oh, I want to talk about that so much. I don't think we have time to really go into it. We should no. do a comedy next week so we, we can should. touch on it. In this day and age. Because I have like theories about why that's the case. Well, I'm yeah. And we should get into that. But but just think about it. Like when was the last time you saw a, a comedy in theaters and it did well? Like the Deadpool movies kind of, but that has a bit of a superhero association For me, it was to it. It's just like Apatow crew movies. Yeah, but when was the last time that's, one of those came out? That's what I mean. Yeah. Well did like you see was... Longshot in theaters? No. And that's, uh, you know, that's kind of an association there. Yeah, I think... And it was yeah. fine. I saw them. I saw Longshot. Yeah. And I, I thought really, it was I really funny. I see it. But I'm not running out to Still. see it in theaters. Like it, yeah. Um, anyway, all that to say that I really appreciated this movie for what it was. And it is proves at least a little bit that, like, big budget comedies can still exist and action comedies can still exist. Because... You look at, again, a movie like Stuber, as an example, which right. is, uh, and maybe it wasn't marketed quite correctly, but is an action comedy, right? Right. You have Dave Bautista and, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank, the guy from Silicon Valley. Nanjiani. Uh, Kumail yeah. Nanjiani. Uh, in a sort of like, it's almost like uh, the comedy version of Collateral. I don't know right. if, if you remember that movie with Jamie Foxx. Yeah, and of course. Tom anyway, Cruise. yeah. So it's like with the comedy the version of, of, of Collateral or something. And I was... Not that I expected it to do better, but it just seems that the, the action comedies that they're putting out... like there's When was the last time there was like a 48 Hours or like a Bad Boys? Yeah. You know, it just... Whatever. But this is that movie kind of. And yeah. I appreciate that They've it They've got exists. the market cornered on it, basically. Fast and Furious almost. Like, yeah. you know that each movie is going to be full of zingy one-liners and like crazy explosive yeah but this isn't your classic fast and furious because they don't talk a l- i mean there's a little bit of talk about family but it's not like every yeah. five seconds it's not just like action scene bro scene family first action yeah. scene yeah. bro scene family first but but it does have a very strong element of that because the movie focuses around jason statham's sister and the and rock's his, daughter and, and the rock's daughter yeah. and also their briefly even their mother which was like my favorite favorite cameo in the movie yeah uh, I what after I saw this movie, Dave Murray also saw it, and he was just like, "So did, did he I like did, it?" I we haven't really talked about it. I think yeah. he did, but he was like, "I mean," and by "I think he did," I mean like I think he. I feel like if you asked him how he felt about it, he would say it's a movie, which is like a good, you know, right. like. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually now I just want to like call him up and be like, "What were your actual?" But so he was just like, "I saw it." I was like, "Oh yeah, I saw it yesterday." He's like, "What were your thoughts?" And I was just like, "Needed more Helen Mirren," and I was just like, "I wanted to see way more of that." Like, I want the next one to be like, "She's in the get," you know, like she's the one that's coordinating some sort of crazy mission or something. Cause right. I don't know. I feel like she is really just at a point in her career where. You know, she's uh, she's like well respected. She's been in so many great movies, right? And is like a great actor, but like she can just have a, some fun. Like that sure. character was like a perfect like, 
You she know? didn't have to be in this movie. She's probably just like, yeah, this will cool. be fun. I, wa- <laughs> yeah. I want to go to Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. You know, and a ton of people are going to see this. So let's do it. No. Uh, anyway. Um, but I, I did love it, though. Like, all jokes aside, I actually enjoyed this movie. But coming into it, knowing what it was going to be. Like, I'm not. It's a very good contrast between a long day's journey and tonight because mm-hmm. my expectations going into a movie like that would be vastly different than going into a movie like this. Yeah, I think this this also is very fitting as a uh, you gotta love it because it almost the phrase you gotta love it like applies to you know there's like two ways that you can you can interpret that one is like guys this is fucking terrible. Uh, and we're forcing you to love it. Like you need to find something to love. Yeah. And the other way to interpret it is kind of just like, you know, like, uh, like, oh, such and such. A, like your, fr- your one friend that's known for doing this dumb thing, did that dumb thing again. Oh, you got to yeah. love, you know, like you got, I mean, it is yeah. what it is. And that's like what this movie is. If, if you, if you just have like a, if you have the hate out for this movie. Right. Um, it's like not liking ice cream though. It's just like, yeah. I mean, there's a whole other conversation. I think one of the, you know, as Bennett points out, it's like the more that movies like this rake in the cash, the more that it potentially contributes to this widening chasm between like, you know what I mean? We've touched on it before, but that's, again, that's a whole other conversation for the purposes of this recording of this episode. It's just like, yeah, Hobbs and Fast and Furious presents the movie is titled fast. The Fast and Furious presents like, yeah, you know, it basically got me pumped up for Fast and the Furious nine or whatever one they're on. Like, I'm just like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Bring it on. I agree. I agree. So why should people watch this movie? Because it's, it's, if, if you watched the first movie we talked about and you were groaning because it required too much of your attention and time and effort to, to engage with. Yeah. This is the fucking alternative. You know, I'm kind of like, I don't want to get too agitated, but like, you know, in a world where people are like, oh, I don't have like the time or like, you know, that's what this is for. So like, don't complain about both things, you know, just, just take it easy. Grab some popcorn, watch, uh, watch the rock and Jason Statham and Idris Elba blow a bunch of stuff up. I agree. I totally agree with that. Also that fight scene at the end was like with all the slow motion in the rain was like, well, so I was just about to ask what's your, uh, what's your favorite movie moment? I did, uh, I liked the really cheesy, you know, uh, very much akin to like Red or like one of those sort of violent action comedies where it was like they were in competition, like yeah. the scene where the rock f- has to fight that one big guy. So like the buddy just, comedy yeah, element. Yeah, he like knocks him out immediately and Jason Statham picks the door that's got like 13 guys and he p- does this like crazy elaborate thing and beats the shit out of all of them and then like when they get to the retinal scanner, it's the last guy. Like he's, he keeps smashing all the faces up against the retinal scanner. It was like just pure physical gag comedy and making light of like violence, but you're watching it and you're just like with those two guys, it was, it was great. It was, you know, it had a good chuckle and there's so many moments like that. They definitely have a chemistry to bring it back to sort of these buddy movies. Like, you know, the Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, at yeah. that time, it's just like, but The Rock and Jason Statham somehow have this. Yeah. It, well, you know what's funny about it to me is I, if you take The Rock out of the picture, Jason Statham is like this jacked, crazy martial arts. He, you know, like he is like a fucking, he's the action hero. Right. It's like you need somebody that caliber or you need The Rock to be an even bigger hulk of a man. Right. And the fact that that's like, sort of the crux of their like uh hatred for each other like the love-hate relationship like jason statham's always just calling him basically like a big roid raging bozo yeah which is hilarious because in any other cast like if you if you put jason statham as like the action hero in a movie with a bunch of uh kumail nanjianis or something he would be that guy but it was like who can we get that's like more intense than jason statham and it's fucking you know it's yeah and it's yeah it's well hilarious yeah because i think jason statham seems like an action star compared to regular people yeah but the rock is just the biggest human <laughs> being yeah, it's, in the it's world actually just, at, well, d- so, at no point in in his career have i been like oh yeah i'm used to this now he's just freakishly thick it's so crazy 
there was a conversation about Dave Bautista and uh, compare, comparing him to The Rock and their career tra- trajectories and how Bautista is looking to be an actor. Right. And The Rock is looking to be a star, essentially. Yeah. Right? Like, he's not playing a, vi- a wide variety of characters, The Rock, in yeah. these movies. He is playing a version of Dwayne Johnson, basically. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is when they left the WWE, both of them at whatever time they left the WWE and wanted to pursue acting, they were both told, okay, well, you are these larger-than-life people, like literally yeah. larger-than-life people. You need to cut some weight and like work out less because we can't have you on camera beside people because <laughs> it just uh, yeah. won't look right. <laughs> Uh, and so when you look at The Rock's earlier films, you'll see that he looks more like a regular human being, but he wasn't right. happy with it. Yeah. And then he got an agent that was like, no, man, just you, you know, you want to work out like every waking minute of the day. Yeah. You do that. And, and eat eight meals. Yeah. You know, well, 42 pancakes. Right. And like six day. chickens every day, basically <laughs> six whole chickens. Like we'll find you roles. You just do that. And, uh, he has been doing it and it seems to work very well for him. And that's why he is. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, it's something close to the truth. It's more, it's more than three. I mean, or at least more than two. It's, it's, I think yeah. it's more than three. Even. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Anyway, yeah. it's, it's, it's fun to watch though, I think. And Jason Statham is like what, you know, I just already love about Jason Statham dating back to like lock stock. He's just like a real wise ass, you yeah. know, it's great. I don't know uh, what the gross of this movie is, so I'm not even going to ask you that question yet, budget and gross, but uh, how should people watch this movie and what would you pay to see it? Uh, I would say... I, <clears throat> I think that... I think people should watch it on a on a like discount Tuesday. Yeah. Because it that's almost like how I... Uh, how I reconcile what i was touching on earlier when talking with bennett it's like okay it's a fun movie and the fact that it's a fun movie maybe that's like enough to say that it deserves your money you know to not pirate it but like also i would rather more people in today's day and age pay a maximum amount of money to see something like long day's journey tonight rather than like going fucking like vip imax spending $42 on a single ticket to see this movie because right. it's like not really necessary. You I know, know like I it'd be fun, agree. but it's just like, it's, it's almost like you would, you would worry about it less or think about it less or maybe be more in like, okay, we're just going to like crack a couple beers and like pay $5 for the ticket to see it on a Tuesday. So I yeah. think that's like, that's the environment that you want to like nurture for this movie. Right. You don't want to, or you could like wait for it to come to home streaming and watch it with a bunch of buddies at somebody's house. It's yeah. It's not a movie like it's kind of fun to see it in theaters, but it's not required theater viewing, I don't think. Yeah. I would pay $12 to see this movie. Sure. You know what's crazy? Uh, weird tangent, but just on the topic of pricing. Yeah. Uh, so I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. in 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Guess how much the ticket was? Eighteen dollars, fourteen bucks, really Not on a discounted. Yeah, wow. It's like a special. It's like an exclusive. There's like five theaters in North America doing it. Yeah, in a really nice theater. Yeah, and it was like it was fourteen bucks. It's yeah. crazier. Yeah, you know, we should take a trip to L.A. and go to uh, what's it called? Tarantino's theater. Okay. Can we d- can we wait until 2020 see how things shake out? I guess so. He does that though. He shows movies in 70 millimeter. Obviously, uh, there was a trailer also for a n- movie coming. Oh, The Joker is being shown in 70 millimeter at Varsity. Ooh. Okay, we'll have to do that. Okay, sorry, that was a crazy tangent. Let's get back to this. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. So, uh, recommendations for the week. Oh yeah. Uh, oh man, it's been. It's been long enough since we recorded that I have so many recommendations piled up. I'll just pick one. Yeah. Uh, my recommendation is going to be the book Snow Crash, which I just finished. Okay. Uh, it's a book that came out in the early 90s. I believe the first edition, like it first hit hit stores in 92 or 93. It's by Neil Stevenson. Yeah. 
And it's sort of like, um, if you look at the critical acclaim, William Gibson, it's this book is like between Neuromancer, William Gibson's Neuromancer, and Ready Player One. In fact, I would argue that Ready Player One owes a lot of like, at least I haven't wa- I haven't seen any interviews with uh, what's his name Ernest. Uh, what's the author of Ready Player One's name? Ernest yeah. Klein. Yeah. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, the, the my whole point is that it it the Matrix things like the Matrix, Ready Player One, like this book and Neuromancer are so foundational for those those uh stories yeah um and it's amazing it's a fun read it's uh it's about it's a little over 500 pages but it's like a it's very accessible it's a quick read it's really fun uh very tongue-in-cheek kind of like a dark comedy and basically what it's about is uh it's it takes place in a future america that's basically um like a corporate wasteland like uh, governments have next to no power and have been replaced by franchises and companies. Um, and it's, I, I'm trying to just, it's, it's really hard to get into the details because there's so much world building that's so well done in this book. Mm-hmm. But think like, uh, I don't know, maybe Demolition Man or like uh, weird 80s science fiction movies where it's like kind of like a dirty dystopian future uh johnny mnemonic like just like the setting is like crazy but there's this thing called the metaverse very much like in ready player one yeah um and the main character whose name is hero like h-i-r-o protagonist is his name (laughs) uh teams up with this uh uh this teenage girl named who goes by yt and they, uh, there's this virus that is discovered very early in the book called Snow Crash, which references um, when your computer screen or a screen display you're looking at goes like staticky. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people see the static, it basically fries their brain. <clears throat> and it's the first time anything like this has been seen in the world of this book. Like there's right. like, um, there's n- there's never been like a computer virus that is actually contagious to people. Um, so that's the basic premise, but it goes so fucking off the rails so fast. Yeah. It's got uh like all-terrain robotic skateboard riding like couriers. It's got uh like psychotic kayak like paddling, nuke wielding. Like it's just like it's so crazy. Yeah. And it's so off the wall. And it's uh, it's great. It's really fun. And I think what I really liked about it is as fun as it was, and as like sort of quick and fast paced and just colorful it is. Yeah. There's some like really really interesting themes that almost seem like when you read the author, there's like a there's like a uh, sort of like a postscript, like a uh, him talking a bit about the book in this edition that's come right. out recently and like what's changed since it came out. But he just like. I don't even know if it was intentional for it to be as deep and relevant as it is, but there's a lot to do with identity uh, and and how he envisions that shifting in like the future from when he wrote the book, like what people will value and what matters and what right. people hold on to. And there's also a lot to do with the power of language. Um, so yeah, highly recommended. Um, shouts to uh, Lucas DiCovasio and Josh Butera for... But by way of them is how I found out about this book. And nice. it's, uh, yeah, it's great. Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. Check it out. Okay. Well, I will recommend a timely recommendation, an album that just came out. Bonnie Vare's I, I, I think. I, I don't know what you would call it. I, I, I don't know. Don't look at me. I mean, his shit is weird, but yeah, in 2019, I half the stuff, half the song titles that come out. I'm not really sure how they're supposed to be pronounced. Well, especially numbers and punctuation in them and stuff. His song titles are just the most bizarre, but it's good. It's really good. I I only listened to it once, but it it was, if you like Bonnie Vare, you will definitely like this album. And in this day and age, this is like probably ridiculous for me to say, but he is one of the, only musicians that I know that will put something out and I can 
I'm I'm unafraid to just purchase it yeah. without hearing a single note. I'm just like, I will buy this at whatever cost it is because I know it's going to be good. Yeah. Like he has yet to really let me down. And I mean, you know, it it's it may happen. There's like, but there's I can think of like three people off the top of my head that I would do that for. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say much more about the album and check it out. The entire thing is available online for free if you have YouTube, which we all do by just going to YouTube.com, you know, and you can <laughs> Some just good features on there. James Blake. James Blake's on the record. Is he? I, I don't, yeah, the I don't first, know. The first, the opening vocals are James Blake. Oh, as really? As far as I know. Yeah. Huh? At least that's what I thought. And I was like, I mean, they have kind of a similar approach to vocals, but mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, I also really enjoyed it. So I can back up that recommendation. Yeah. Anyway, so check that out. And, uh, next time on the show, I think, uh, I'm not sure what we'll be talking about, but, uh, I'm fairly certain that you gotta love it will be detective Pikachu. So, <sighs> Heads right. up for that bad boy. Sweet. And maybe the hidden gem will be, I don't know, the new Godzilla. No, I'm just kidding. That's also probably going to be, you got to love it. All right. <laughs> See you guys. Keep loving it.